we've all been there before. I've been there, Chris. You've been there. You've been mad at the referees after a bad loss, especially a playoff loss. I don't blame people for being frustrated and upset. But what Dak Prescott said and did after his playoff loss, when he found out that fans were throwing things at the referees as they left the field, and he said, oh, credit to them then, is honestly ridiculous. That is just way too far to take sports. First of all, Dak Prescott, it's your fault that you lost the game. The referees didn't do anything wrong. You and your team made the stupid decision to run up the middle, which was an unbelievably unjustifiable play call. Like, it's the... I can't think of a dumber situation to run up the middle in. From that, from where you were on the field with that time left, you probably had two two shots at the end zone from there. If you'd taken those and you had lost, totally understandable. If you made one more attempt to run like an out route and get the ball to the sideline and get 10 yards closer, but the defense makes a great play and keeps you in bounds, totally understandable. Those are acceptable ways to lose because the way you're going about it is smart. Running up the middle with 14 seconds left and no timeouts is absolute lunacy. There is no possible way that that would have worked out for you to get you more than like one second left. And to top it all off, the referee did his job. He has to spot the ball before the play happens. You didn't let him do that. You and your lineman slowed him down while he was trying to do his job by getting in the way. So for you to go in and to encourage violence against the referees after the game because your coach made a terrible decision and then you didn't know when to go into your slide to give yourself enough time to spike the ball, that is utterly insane to me. And for especially for someone who seems to be such a good person off the field, very bizarre. Dak Prescott, I know you can be better. Be better. But unlike Mike McCarthy listener, you have made a great decision by checking out a brand new episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling. And welcome to another thrilling edition of High Floor, Low Ceiling. We are, we are back. We are, we're in the groove, I would argue, Griffin. Oh yeah, we the break is over. We're back into it. And uh, Chris, before we get started, uh, I just want to ask you something. Like um, the other night, I had a dream that Steph Curry and I kissed. Do you think that's weird? Um, no. For starters, anyone can kiss anyone. Griffin, it's we true. all know and, like, that. It wasn't like a. There was no sexual energy in the kiss. Let me explain the context of the dream. Okay. It was like I'm... it was a passionless kiss. I'm ready to make the whole episode about this. So okay, please go ahead. So in this dream, I'm in like a locker room. It's just like a random high school locker room. And Steph's there. And he's normal Steph Curry, Golden State Warrior superstar. And I come up to him and I'm like, Steph, man, like it's so good to see you. And I'm acting like we're old friends. And the and my uh, reasoning behind this is that I remembered him when he played at Davidson. I remembered watching right. him in the Final Four. And like sure. to him, this was like crazy. He was like, nobody knew that I played at Davidson. Like you're the only person who remembers this and so like we 
were talking as if we were old friends with like a lot of mm-hmm. fondness because I remembered him playing at Davidson. I like mm-hmm. brought him into a big hug and I was like, man, I'm so proud of you. Like the person, the player that you've become, it's just, <laughs> it's all so great. And he's like, thank you. You don't know how much that means coming from you. Like you've been there for me every step of the way, just cause I watched him in my kitchen when he played in March Madness. And then we were just like chatting and we were like embracing and hugging. And then he was like, all right, I got to go out, like, play this game or whatever. And I was like, okay, I'll see you after. And then just, like, a quick, quick peck, quick, uh, before he heads out on the court. And then I wake up, and I'm like, what? <laughs> like, it, it wasn't, like, there was no, there was no love behind the kiss. I mean, yeah, there it was, was like, it was, like, a familiar, it was, like, the kind of kiss that, like, Tom Brady gives his son. Yeah, or um, the one that Jesus, uh, Judas used to betray our Lord. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> who's who. I guess Steph um, is probably Jesus. I would imagine so. Yes. Yeah, that um, seems fair. If I may play dream interpreter yes, for a moment, yes, please do. Well, okay. So what I what I detect from this idea of you're the only one who knew that Steph Curry went to Davidson. You are you have this special knowledge. I think it's it's representative of your desire to be recognized as someone with uh, great sports knowledge. And wow, you, know, you know? so. It's sort of like you want you want that recognition. You want to that athlete interaction. You want to uh, obviously your goal is to be a sports journalist. You want to uh, maybe interview Steph Curry one day, maybe without a kiss. But that kiss is perhaps representative of the intimacy that you hope to feel with the uh, the athletes that you work with in your industry. I knew I could come to you and you would be able to figure <laughs> it out. That I think that is spot on. When I when I cover sports, even when I was just covering at uh, like my where I went to university, uh, Carleton University, I covered the basketball team. Mm-hmm. I I my favorite part was just getting to know the athletes. They were so yeah. cool to me as a kid who always grew up idolizing athletes and now I got to talk to them and interview them. So I think you are absolutely bang on. And of course, God, I'm terrific, so glad uh... Your terrific OUA in conversation podcast is yeah. the same idea. I'm gonna end every episode of that with a kiss from now on. <laughs> for sure. Um, but thank you everyone for tuning in. I'm so happy that we got to hit that right off the top. Um, Griffin, we are we're back. We're back in the NFL, as you alluded to in your uh, in your opening rant, which I I loved by the way. Thank you. Um, we are in the thick of the NFL playoffs. It's all anyone's talking about, and really all anyone's talking about is this Cowboys 49ers game where, you know, we don't need to get into because I'm sure everyone has seen and heard and read and done everything you can about some very uh, questionable play calling decisions by the Cowboys during that time. The one, the one that really stuck out to me was this. And, you know, I turned the game on, I, th- I think, in the third or the fourth quarter, and that play where they, they they ran the fake punt, did the Cowboys, uh, trying to drive to, I think, get it within one possession. They ran the fake punt, they successfully convert on fourth down, and then they keep the punt team on the field on first down, trying to engender some kind of offsides call or a false start or some kind of like, trying to, trying to cause confusion amongst the ranks. They end up taking a false start penalty because they can't... <laughs> get their uh, punt team off the field and insert their offense and actually run a play. So, and just the idea that the defense would be confused because it's like, oh, like, they must be going to punt the ball. <laughs> on they, first down. Yeah, and so it's, it, it truly just, it boggles the mind the ways that the Dallas Cowboys find to lose these games. Um, yeah, the the high floor, low ceiling jinx. I mean, the bump was real. We saw that with the Bills on Saturday, and uh, unfortunately... Looks like the jinx is real as well. 
Yeah, we do have to disclose that we were really talking up how impressed we were with the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys. But before that, weeks ago, we were talking about how as soon as they played someone not in the NFC East, they would crash and burn. So uh, first thought, best thought is how yeah, we, I would usually say it. We have Too to much time. Sides. <laughs> Too much time. Much like uh, Brandon Staley in week 18. We had, we we outthought ourselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or Mike uh, McCarthy yeah. trying to punt on first down. Certainly. Um yeah, really just a, a failing on all counts uh by Dallas, you know. They San Francisco led 23 to 7 going into the fourth quarter. So, although Dallas did have the opportunity to win the game, they really were not in the game for a lot of it. Um not a great night for Dak Prescott. He threw 23 completions on 43 attempts. 254 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Ezekiel Elliott, 12 carries for 31 yards. Yeah, what um, the heck? CD Lamb, only one catch. Dalton Schultz was the main target for Doc Prescott because, you know, I think when you're when you're facing a lot of pressure and you're not really sure where to go to, that tends to be, uh, you tend to turn to the tight end in those situations. But really just a, and then obviously giving up those 23 points in three quarters. Just a disappointing showing for the Cowboys all around after we foolishly tried to uh, give them our support. Yeah, the worst thing to us is that you made us look bad. Mm-hmm. We put ourselves out there for you. We really wanted this for you. And you came along. And I know you let down your fans and yourselves and all that. But you made us look bad. <laughs> the good folks at High Floor Low Ceiling. Mm-hmm. And I hope you um, take a long look in the mirror. Yeah, they really need to do some soul searching. They do not want to disappoint us again. Um, but the thing, Griffin, that I think we really need to talk about with this game is, were we, was our real mistake not supporting the Cowboys, but failing to even mention the San Francisco 49ers last week when we were talking about all of our interesting playoff teams and our, uh, our contenders within the various conferences? Yeah, I mean... You gotta wonder, because we, I think we touched on almost every playoff team, and the only time we mentioned the 49ers was when I said, and the Cowboys will probably lose in the first round to the 49ers anyway, but yeah, San Francisco looked very good. Uh, You've got in our notes here, Debo Samuel, Chris. I mean, come Mm -hmm. on. What a player. What a exciting, fun, dynamic talent. Like, so great to have on a football field. What a weapon. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're up in, they're in another tough one, headed to green bay to play in the cold against the the no superstar green bay packers and i do want to walk back because i was listening to it back when i was editing the episode and i was like why why did i say that (laughs) green bay doesn't have a superstar but we we will get to green bay uh but yes Debo samuel i mean you want to talk about x factors which is what uh we were talking about last week 110 all-purpose yards he did have the rushing touchdown as well i mean i think that Personally, for me, the reason that I counted uh, San Francisco out a little bit, at least, you know, relative to being a contender within the conference, is they didn't really seem to have... Well, obviously, their quarterback situation is very strange, very fluid. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo, obviously, getting the start, he was 16 for 25 with no touchdowns and a pick. That's, like, exactly the kind of game you expect from Jimmy Garoppolo but I think we kind of forget that this San Francisco went to a Super Bowl two years ago with this with Jimmy Garoppolo as their quarterback and he was not amazing then either and you know 96 rushing yards from Elijah Mitchell 72 rushing yards from Debo Samuel like they they did what they always do they ran the ball a lot they you know made some passes Brandon Ayuk had a pretty solid game but like they they just seemed to find ways to get it done and I think that's a a credit to Kyle Shanahan, obviously. Yeah, Kyle Shanahan, clearly a great uh, coach. And 
one name we didn't mention in there was George Kittle, one of the best mm-hmm. tight ends in football, who was great to finish the year, a great blocker. And, of course, it's the defense that has been yeah. the core. Like you said, Chris, it's so easy to forget that the 49ers, yeah, did ride this defense to a Super Bowl a few years ago through the icy tundra of Green Bay, by the way, in the NFC Championship game. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that we slept on the 49ers far too much. Yeah. And I think that will be a great game against the Packers. Hopefully, you know, they will continue to produce. Um, but yes, it is interesting. Sorry, I'm just loving it. I was going to talk about something, but I forgot. Uh, but let's move on to a couple of other matchups. Uh, no no high flow, low ceiling bump for the erstwhile Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, our, our first ever gambling take. <laughs> Swing and a miss. Sorry, don't, sorry if you put a little money on the Steelers. I mean, uh, I was correct that they, they did not cover the spread. So I was smart to advise everyone to take the money line because, you know, they wouldn't have covered anyway, so... If they're going to lose, they're going to lose big. If they were going to win, then they were going to win. Of course, they did not win. Uh, what was the final on that? I believe it I was 42-21. to 21. Uh, yes. I, It's a classic. It wasn't that classic close. Kind of, no, it was not that close. The classic kind of game that you refer to as a romp in a an article you write about it. Uh, ben Roethlisberger. See um, it. <laughs> it with a whimper. Him. Yeah, he did. You know, he completed. He threw 29 for 44 but he threw for 215 yards did you see that uh sort of passing heat map that was going around twitter showing his passes no i didn't um i you should try and pull it up if you can but i think probably about he it was you know showing about you know 20 or 30 of his passes i think probably about five of them went past the line of scrimmage uh oh, a lot of oh, check down a lot of check downs a lot of screen passes not a lot of uh deep ball activity so he he did average under five yards per completion, which is perhaps unfortunate. Uh, and then, you know, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, if on, on most other days, he would be the best quarterback of the weekend. 30 for 39, over 400 yards, five touchdowns. And then Travis Kelsey throwing that touchdown as well. Yeah, but as you stayed, uh, or as you alluded to, Chris, he was not the best quarterback of the weekend mm-hmm. because the future Super Bowl champions, it's coming, Buffalo. You've waited so long <laughs> I'm doubling down after what I saw this week. How good did the Buffalo Bills look against their own personal boogeyman, the New England Patriots? Yeah, that is one one prediction that we can feel confident in. And we're we're plastering about. that one. Yeah, we're really we're really highlighting the Bills because they had a terrific game. Um, Josh Allen was enormous. He had what five passing touchdowns. I think he. Had some runs as well. Uh, let me just have a look here. Yeah, 66 yards. Uh, no touchdowns, but, you know, 66 rushing yards on six carries. Devin Singletary has weirdly been very effective the last few weeks. Uh, he had two touchdowns. And, yeah, forty. I mean, 47 to 17 really says it all. And they were not. The game was over by halftime, I'd say. The yeah. Buffalo led 27 to 3 at the half. Uh, but, Griffin, a thought that I had while sort of reviewing this game, thinking about this game and the way that the Bills play, I, this is an interesting comparison perhaps, but tell me what you think of this. I am seeing Josh Allen as the LeBron James of football, and I'll tell you why. Please do. <laughs> this is a this is a real uh, sports radio type beat. Uh, not for his success or his team's success or anything of that nature, but in terms of play style, because you think about the way that the Bills play, and especially the way they played uh, this weekend, a lot of shotgun, a lot of spreading the receivers out, and then you have Josh Allen, who is huge and a bit of an athletic freak for his position, but then also has 
tremendous passing vision. And so, if you run the shotgun, which is sort of the the spread pick and roll of the NFL, you get your receiver, you get some shooters, which are you know wide out receivers, and then uh, LeBron Allen can either you know take it himself, drive down the lane, uh, go up the middle himself, or he can uh, find one of his shooters with his great court vision. What do you think of this comparison? I feel pretty yeah pretty positive I think... about it. I think you're spot on on this. Uh, I I love every aspect of it. Yeah, physically, Josh Allen isn't quite as big, but he's definitely looks big on an NFL field the same way that uh, LeBron looks big on an NBA court. So I'm all in on this. LeBron Allen, as I believe he said. Josh James. That doesn't sound as good. Josh James sounds like an NBA 2K small forward. He's like a 71 (laughs) overall. (laughs) You can't tell if 2K created the player if he's actually like the backup on the Utah Jazz. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I feel that uh, Chris Clemens, a player I see a lot, and I'm like, is that a real guy? Uh, turns out he is. Oh, uh, big shout out to Chris Clemens. High floor, low ceiling <laughs> bump coming the coming your way. Certainly. But yeah, the the Patriots defense, which we talked about as a possible X factor, uh, really was not there. And I, I forgot that they traded Stephon Gilmore. I know they were going to cut him anyways, but they did trade Stephon Gilmore within this season uh for basically no return for a sixth round pick because like i said they were going to cut him anyways for cap reasons but to lose a guy like that who is a former defensive player of the year um you know you have to you ha- maybe not question the decision because i don't think stefan gilmore was the difference between a win and a loss today but i feel like that might be a case of the the belichick trade them a year early rather than a year late uh, syndrome there yeah but yeah like you said i think what happened on sunday was a complete head-to-toe drubbing like who would have thought that steelers chiefs would not be the most one-sided game of the week yeah. like so i don't think the, the patriots are going to be pointing at any one thing i think that's a burn the tape get them next year our quarterback yeah. still a rookie type of game and yeah and i don't think back jones had a terrible game he was getting a lot of flack um 232 flack yards jones yeah sorry Jones Flacco. Jones Flacco. One guy who never got Flack. And if he Turned did, it was away. undeserved. Joe Flacco. Sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> but two touchdowns, two picks. Like, he he had a, a somewhat rookie-ish game. But, I mean, really, I, I don't want to dive too deep into the Eagles because I frankly do not care. Uh, but Jalen Hurts, I think, was really the the example of the, the young quarterback who sort of was not ready for the moment in, in that playoff game. Again, not that I think that uh, they were ever going to probably beat the Bucks, but the, the Eagles were in a similar position to the Pats this week. Yeah, yeah, a couple of... Uh, that whole expanded playoff thing gave us a couple couple real snoozers in this first round. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but if you think about, like, uh, I don't re- remember exactly how the seeds would have shook out if the Raiders and the Chargers had tied, but obviously having those two in and the Steelers out probably bumps up the... Uh, the overall quality of the matchups there. And then, you know, the Saints really probably should have been uh, in the mix as well rather than the Eagles and just sort of uh, flopped down the stretch, obviously had some quarterback problems. So if you if you switch out those, then, like, it is a pretty solid field, right? Yeah, but uh, speaking of flopping down the stretch, I was so excited for the best game of the week between the Rams and the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. You talk about snoozers. What was the most one-sided game of the week? It's hard to pick. There were so many. Yeah, uh, but yeah, geez, the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, do you think this was a case of them being good, Chris, or the Cardinals being bad? Well, we kind of. I think this sort of gets to the idea of this. This this gets back to the Packers discussion because I think that you look at what the Rams defense did uh, against Kyler Murray, and obviously 
the Cardinals were not at their 100% full strength. DeAndre Hopkins didn't play. But you look at what the Rams defense did to Kyler Murray, and that's like, that is the kind of performance, like from, from a defense overall, that can win you like a huge playoff game. And, you know, obviously the defense more than did their part as well. But if you're holding a team like the Cardinals to 11 points and none in the first half and holding Kyler Murray to the kind of day that he had, then I feel like you're, you're going to win most of the time. Like Kyler Murray was 19 for 34 for 137 yards and no touchdowns, two picks. Like that kind of, you can't have that kind of night and win a game. And I think that's the kind of night that the Rams can force a good quarterback into. Yeah, that pass rush, like we saw Von Miller getting after him early, that was a great addition for them. Uh, Yeah, I think from what I saw this weekend, Bills are still winning the Super Bowl, but they're going to have to get through the Rams to do it. Yeah, I going mean, back I mean, to sort of my preseason <laughs> NFC pick. Everything yeah. old is new again, Chris. We were right in the first place all along. Yeah, we should we should never uh, should never doubt ourselves. Uh, but yeah, Matt, Matt Stafford. I think that is still the big uh, not not even X factor, but they they sort of live or die based on his production. Uh, he had you know he wasn't asked to do a lot in that game. Uh, he was thirteen for seventeen, two hundred yards, two touchdowns. Like just a like a a very much a taking care of business game. Very efficient, obviously, but you know if if he, Matt Stafford's only being asked to throw the ball seventeen times in a twenty three point win, then you're probably in very good shape. Yeah, I would think so. Well, Chris, we've got a lot to get to this episode, but before <laughs> yes. we before we get through the NFL, do you want to do quick picks? Just just winners, just one money line picks for uh, this weekend's divisional rounds, because I've got quite a few upsets coming up in my mind here. Yeah, there are some there are some very interesting games here. Uh, let's start with the the one seed in the AFC taking on the Bengals, who had uh, a nice win, sort of had to had to hold on a little bit, but got the win over the Raiders for their first playoff win in some time joe burrow obviously his first uh, playoff start he looked really solid uh so how are you seeing things shaking out between this uh this maybe some might call it a fake one seed and the the Bengals? yeah honestly I, this is going to be a bit of a recurring theme but most of the road teams most of the underdogs not only do i think they have a chance to win i think they will win the Bengals are the first one of those i was really impressed by joe burrow and jamar chase in that first round match against the raiders obviously not the toughest competition but now they've got the playoff game under their belt they've proven they can do it i'm picking the Bengals to beat the titans yeah um i think that that is not not unreasonable just because but i think uh i think the reason that you're picking against the titans is sort of the reason that I'm picking for the Titans, which is that we haven't really seen them play a high level of football in quite some time, I would say. Obviously, having Derrick Henry out, having Julio Jones out for long stretches, having A.J. Brown out at times, like the Titans never really got their act fully together and played like, you know, their best football. But it almost feels like this is the time that that would happen, right? Like they've had the week off, everyone's ostensibly healthy, Derrick Henry will be back. And I think you know, I think that the Raiders, if you compare the, the level of competition between the Raiders and the Titans, it's a pretty wide gap. And the Bengals, like, they didn't roll over the Raiders either. Like, that was, it did end up being a pretty close game, a one-possession game. So I don't think the Bengals are quite there in terms of really being a threatening playoff contender. And I think the Titans are maybe being slept on a little bit uh, because they haven't they haven't quite... Uh, had all their pieces line up at the same time this year. Yeah, it's true. Like, when I do think about the Titans, I always... They, they're that team that you think, okay, this week they have to finally lose, and then they just don't. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not 100% rock solid in my pick, but we do have a bit of disagreement there. Uh, we'll put it on the board, a high floor ceiling point at stake. Uh, <laughs> right. We, you remember we those? We haven't kept track of our scoreboard. 
No. Uh, let's bring it back in the new year. I'm, I'm committed right. to this. 2022, so will, the year of the yeah. HFLC point. We will return next week uh, and award some points, and maybe we'll uh, we'll see if we disagree on some other matchups. The game that we talked about last week when we were talking about the Buffalo Bills and their Super Bowl chances, it's going to run through the Kansas City Chiefs and the divisional round, just as we predicted. Uh, so, so how do you see this game uh, going down, shaking out? Are the Bills, I imagine what you're going to say. Well, I've known all along that if the Bills are to finally deliver on their promise and win the Super Bowl, it's got to go through Kansas City. This is going to be, I hope, an instant classic, but I do think the Bills come away. Once again, Road Warriors. Yeah, I I do think and hope that this will be a good game as well. I mean, these are two teams that really, uh, you know, since the Chiefs sort of got on the same page and have had both their offense and their defense performing at the same time, I think that these have been two of the best teams in the AFC. Well, I mean, obviously, but the two of the most well-rounded teams in the AFC in terms of really strong defenses. Obviously, I'd give the Bills the edge in that category. Uh, and then, you know, two offenses that can be massive on any given day to quarterbacks that could be supernova on any given day so i'm hoping this will be like a really closely contested uh you know maybe like a, a 27 24 kind of affair uh and i think that i have to take the bills as well i mean wow. it's hard it's hard to count out patrick mahomes i think that you know uh a, a sort of old adage of the playoffs is you know a team is never as good or as bad as they showed in the previous week. Um, and so I do think that, you know, the Bills, maybe the Pats weren't as tough as we maybe perceived them as. Uh, and, you know, that you can't take too much out of such a big blow win. But I do think that they are equipped to challenge anyone, really, in, in either conference. I couldn't agree more. Uh, let's move to the National Football Conference, Chris. And we're heading up north. Get your winter coat. The Green Bay Packers and the San Francisco 49ers. This is the one where I'm least confident in the underdog. I still mm-hmm. think that there's a world in which the Niners win, but I think this is the one that the home team wins. The Green Bay Packers beat the San Francisco 49ers. Fine. Yeah, this is this is a really interesting matchup, actually. Um, obviously, you know, we didn't, like I said, we didn't talk much about the Niners uh, last week, and we didn't really, you know, we, we even, since the Packers had the bye, didn't talk too much about them either, despite my uh, inflammatory comments. Uh, but I think this will be an interesting one. I think, you know, they're very interesting teams to match up with stylistically. I think the Niners do have a chance to hang some points on the Packers uh, if they get it to a hot start and obviously get their running game established, which, you know, should be, uh, should be a positive for them. If it is, it does end up being cold weather. Um, I mean, not that cold weather mattered for Josh Allen either, but True. I do think that you have to give the Packers the edge here. They're a more complete team. Obviously there is a, a wide disparity at quarterback. Uh, and you know, obviously getting to play at home is a benefit as well. So I'm going to give the edge to the Packers, but I, I mean, really all of these games, uh, Titans Bengals, I think has some blow up possibility on either side, really. But I think the other three games should be closely contested affairs, or at least I hope they will be. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to foster uh, more disagreement, but that's okay. We're both so uh, smart. But let's jump to the very last matchup, the Bucks and the Rams. Uh, the Bucks again, they took care of business against the Eagles. Um, I think that given the situation the Bucks are in, you kind of have to favor the Rams a little at this point, right? I mean, they had a solid offensive day. You know, no one really stuck out. Uh, I forget who we were talking about as a as a potential breakout star wide receiver oh, for the. Uh, uh... What's his name? Something something. <laughs> yeah. Did, did he name? break out? Did it work? He did. He did not break out. Um, 
there was one one of their you know backup receivers did have a, a solid day but nothing too crazy uh their running backs really were what got it done uh they're too uh I forget who they started but they were playing without Fournette and Peyton Barber and got something out of uh their running backs that was yes so that was you know they got some production there but i do think that it will you know catch up to them eventually when they're not playing a team like the eagles um although leonard fournette does seem to be returning this week who i think is an underrated part of their offense really but yeah we talked last week about the uh, unfortunate depletion of the bucks wide receiver core and now they've really only got one guy who you're really scared of in mike evans so if i was sean McVay, i'd say to uh, jalen ramsey hey get to know mike evans because you're going to be standing across from him on every single snap all game like i would love i love it when a defensive specialist gets the iso assignment whether it's in basketball or hockey a shutdown center or a shutdown cornerback in football. That is like my favorite thing in all of sports, a defensive specialist shutting down a superstar, especially a guy who's not good on offense in like basketball or hockey. Yeah, like a, like a Lugens Dort on James Harden uh, situation. Exactly, yeah. But I would love to see Jalen Ramsey going up against Mike Evans every single snap. And then I think that's going to neutralize a lot of Tom Brady's abilities. Like the, obviously he'll still have Ron Gronkowski has an outlet and Gronk will always get his few catches a couple big moments for him because he's one of the best tight ends to ever touch a football field but I think it'll be tough for the Bucks to produce on offense given the injuries and the uh, retirements that they've had to go through yeah um I think Jalen Ramsey will kind of be like me on basketball reference looking up uh, Mr. Durant and Mr. Martin getting to know Mike Evans I I god I want to be mad but that that was very impressive. I mean, Mike really Evans though? and Mike. God, that's what you come to the show for. We are going that's... to take a quick break. Griffin seems to be in utter disbelief. How uh, how do you do that? Uh, we will what be a back talent with... I podcast with. <laughs> we'll be back uh, talking some some snowy weather with high floor low ceiling. And welcome back <laughs> to High Floor, Low Ceiling. Griffin took, picked a great time to take a big ol' slurp out of his famous water bottle. You don't count uh, me in or anything. I just, I'm always <laughs> caught with my water bottle in my mouth. So to speak. Um, Griffin, what a, what a week it's been, both in sports and out of sports. Obviously, the biggest thing to happen to me this week, certainly, was the, uh, the big snowstorm that hit our fair city of Toronto. Uh, how did you deal with that? Uh, how much snow did you get over on your side of the city? Uh, did you have to shovel? What was that? What was that experience like for you? Talking well, through it. I mean, who doesn't love a good snowstorm? My favorite thing was we went out for a walk later in the day, like around five o'clock. And it's just like when there's a big snowstorm, everyone comes to an unspoken agreement that like rules don't matter anymore it's just you do whatever you can everyone was walking down the middle of the street because there was like an occasional tire track to walk in and no one was afraid of cars or anything like that so i love the the sense of camaraderie that comes from a good snowstorm Uh, but yes we got quite a bit of snow Uh, but you know the city of toronto the plows are out they're doing their jobs but it was it was wild uh winter has definitely arrived here yeah freaking uh, game of thrones over here um and much like warren Beatty, rules don't apply uh how about you, Chris? When was the last time you left your house? <laughs> That's extremely cruel of you to say to me. <laughs> uh, I actually left my house uh, on the day of the storm, which is what, Monday? Was that the day of the, uh, uh, yes. the big storm? 
Uh, I did leave my house. I was I, I walked on the uh, the streetcar line actually because that was more cleared than the, uh, the sidewalk. So I did I did take a little walk. I was not pleased with what I found, uh, <laughs> and I have not left the house since, other than to take it there cycling. So I'm kind of operating in a classic inside mode. Which Griffin, you know me. I love to be indoors. <laughs> yes, you do. Every year, I forget how tiring walking through deep snow is until I have to do it again the next year. It is like a real workout. I was I was reading the Toronto Star, like the biggest snowstorms in Toronto history, and they talked about how people used to, like in the 60s, there were a couple big snowstorms that people died from heart attacks just from walking in the snow. And I was like, I believe it. Like, it is, a, it is tough. Yeah, that's going to be me one day. Um, Shovel your walks, people. Some of the people on my street still haven't shoveled their sidewalks, especially corner properties. Corner properties only shovel the front of their houses. They never shovel the side. But if you have the privilege of having a corner property, this was almost my rant. You need to shovel (laughs) your entire sidewalk. You're responsible for two streets worth of sidewalk. You get the corner property. So guess what? That's part of owning a corner property. Uh, Step up. Be a good neighbor. Real monopoly type situation here. Um, Yeah, I (laughs) I have another anecdote show, which is that... uh, my landlord emailed me on the day of the storm and was saying, hey, sorry, I'm not going to be able to come to the property today and clear the snow, so be safe. And my reaction was, you come to the property and clear the snow? <laughs> yeah, I've that's a here. great service. It's a great service. I mean, like, by all means, a landlord can and should provide that. But I've, I've lived here for two years, and I never knew that, <laughs> that Mark and or Andy were uh, coming down to assist with the snow clearing. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. So kudos to them. Uh, last time so does that mean give... you never clear the snow either? Your, snow, you, your walk just magically got cleared? <laughs> Well, I live in a basement apartment, so I have stairs down to my apartment. So, yes, the stairs are often magically cleared. And I'm always just like, oh, whoever, the the people who live upstairs who, you know, they, they surely they should be responsible for shoveling the lock, right? That does that's seem like an upstairs apartment responsibility. That's what I've told myself. And so I've usually just been like, oh, like the upstairs apartment, they were just like very friendly and neighborly and like threw some salt on the stairs for me just so that, you know, I could, uh, you know, take care of that issue. And, you know, the laundry's down here. So they, they, it's a... It's a symbiotic situation. Mm. Maybe I'm more of the parasite in that situation. But it turns out Uh, it wasn't them. After all, it was your lovely landlords. Yes. The last time you'll hear me praise a landlord. uh, (laughs) Too late. You're you're pro-landlord on this podcast. It's official. Yeah. We will be canceled shortly. Uh, But Griffin, of course, with lots of snow comes uh, many classic winter activities. And that is what we are here to talk about today. We have devised a little bit of an athlete draft. Uh, for winter activities. So what's going to go down here is that I've prepared a list of winter activities for us, and we are each going to pick an athlete who will... Uh, uh, I'm not sure if they're they're on our team for these activities or they're doing it with us. You know, some, some are not competitive yeah. activities. Um, it's just whoever, whoever sprang to mind, I think. Yeah, who's going to join you for this activity? Uh, and maybe we'll, uh, we'll tweet out a list of, uh, of our respective teams and get people to vote on it afterwards uh, and see who is the true master of the winter activity draft. What do you think? I like it a lot. All right. Well, let's jump in here. Uh, The first one, we're going to pick an athlete to be our teammate in a snowball fight. And Griffin, I will turn to you. Who is going to be your your co- co-combatant in this snowball fight against me i guess is the yeah uh, yeah i guess that's what we're doing here so i feel good about my chances um (laughs) 
<laughs> Especially with this guy on my team. Uh, you know a snowball fight all about the arm. I want pinpoint accuracy. I want to get it right in the face. Maybe up underneath the glasses is particularly devastating. Okay, I know it's a glasses. Towards me. Well, I'm a glasses wearer myself, Chris. Uh, I... I I flex. I flex to contacts, but I do wear glasses. Um, so I'm going with St. Louis Cardinals third baseman, one of the finest third basemen to ever touch a field, Nolan Arenado. We've all seen the arm strength and the accuracy, lunging into foul ground, throwing guys out across the infield. He's got great range as a fielder, and the way I'm thinking is if you can get in front of a baseball, you can get out of the way of a snowball. Um, if you know where a baseball is going to be as it comes at you, you know where a snowball is going to be, so you can just not be there. His, his great instincts in the field will obviously, he'll have to overcome those, but I do think he would also protect me. He can make a diving catch if a snowball is coming right for me. His, his athleticism, his range, he's going to be there, and he's going to grab that snowball out of the air, turn around, plant fire being your guy in the face whoever it is so i'm very happy with my first overall pick in the snowball <laughs> fight draft of nolan arenado um it's a great pick i certainly cannot dispute that uh i would question whether you can really make a catch this is the thing is because nolan arenado is a great fielder but in a snowball fight if you are catching a snowball surely it, there's going to be some collateral damage from that and you're probably going to take a hit anyways so i don't think catching a snowball is really uh really the ideal maneuver i mean uh, we didn't discuss this but is nolan allowed to have a glove with him uh during the fight i think players come in with the equipment i think like nolan aronado is rocking up in his st louis cardinals uniform maybe with a winter coat but he's he's wearing spikes he's got the glove He's okay. got the trademark shades in case it's sunny out and the sun's reflecting off the uh, sure. snow. So I, I think he's got the glove. Okay. Well, in that case, I feel even better about my selection uh, because my player is rocking up in a full... He's wearing a helmet. <laughs> he's wearing some heavy pads. You're, you're not wearing a helmet, though. He is presenting a large target to draw fire away from me. Um, Griffin, if I've learned anything from war movies uh, and playing Call of Duty, it's that... One of the most important things in a firefight is for someone to be laying down suppressive fire. Uh, you know, you think of the the machine gunner from uh, Saving Private Ryan, who really uh, did a number on those troops in Omaha. Uh, Peyton Manning reference, Omaha. Uh, <laughs> Sports. <laughs> and so I need a guy who, you know, I, I don't want the most explosive athlete. I, you know, I was thinking like, oh, do I want a pitcher here? Do I want the 100-mile-an-hour fastball? But no, because those guys have to go into a whole windup in order to uh, to fire off their weapons. And so I want someone who is going to be all about volume. I want a classic gunslinger quarterback. I want Jameis Winston. Perhaps a controversial pick uh, because he does have some issues with accuracy. I was going to uh, say, you're going with the least accurate quarterback in the NFL. But I'm going with the best quarterback at throwing to the other team. Oh. <laughs> I've got you there, don't I? Uh, <laughs> Griffin, you famously loved the film Elf. You've that seen I do. what Buddy the Elf was capable of in terms of amassing a large number of snowballs and firing them off quickly. Obviously, His Buddy quick has. Buddy is extremely skilled across the board in the snowball field. Uh, but I think really his his speed. Uh, and his, yeah, like you said, his quick release is what differentiates him. I think that's going to be a game changer for Winston. Uh, he's going to just be standing there. You know, he can just stand there. He's got his pads and his helmet on. He can take some hits. 
he can just stand there and fire them off. I'll be sneaking up the sideline and just blindsiding you in the, in the side of the face. Yeah, but uh, all, all I have to do to not get hit by a snowball from Jameis Winston is run a route. And then <laughs> I just need to run a six-yard slant, and he's not getting the snowball within 10 feet of me. So uh, I'm we'll feeling be, pretty we'll confident. Deep, though. We'll Whereas I've got deep. Nolan Arenado, who's basically shooting the eyes off a fly. Made up my <laughs> own saying there. Uh, That's good. With... um from 20 yards so i i'm confident nolan arenado I, i'm not second guessing i i think we both feel good about our picks here i i enjoyed your pick i think nolan arenado is a great choice uh but let's move on something something less competitive something that we will not uh hurt each other in we're picking an athlete to shovel snow for us and i i mean i love my pick i think that it really can't be disputed uh I knew right away when I, after I wrote this segment for myself, uh, I knew that we would need a lineman, uh, a football lineman. That was the only choice for me to shovel snow. Their whole job is predicated on just sort of standing there, being big, pushing things around. And uh, I want, you know, I want someone who's going to be offensive, not defensive. But weirdly, you have to flip that, which means that I would want a defensive lineman. I know what uh, you mean. <laughs> I want a defensive lineman so they can be offensive towards the snow. Uh, and so, you know, there's there's an obvious choice here. The best defensive lineman in football, maybe of all time. He's got strength. He's got agility. He's the total package. Aaron Donald is going to shovel my driveway. I picture him just having, like, one of those super wide shovels, like, the kind that you could push. And then he just pushes the whole, like... He'll do like a whole line of the driveway in one go, just push it all out into the street. Uh, and he'll be done in probably about eight minutes, I'd say. I'm going to fundamentally disagree with you on Ooh. what the essence of snow shoveling is. Oh, and wow. we have established in this podcast that you do not clear your own walk. You didn't even know <laughs> who shoveled Come your snow on. until two days ago after living in an apartment for two years. You just thought the, a snow fairy came along and did it. Okay, but, come on. But I think that snow shoveling is a mental game. Mm. You go out there and you see a mound of snow. You cannot be mentally defeated by that snow. It's all about willpower. It's all about motor. I want someone who will not back down from a challenge, a tenacious defender of my driveway who's going to attack that snow with a ferocity so i am going with the most ferocious tenacious fears nothing guy in the nba i'm choosing patrick beverly to shovel my driveway he's going to get in that snow's head and he's not going to back down until he knows that he has broken it whereas an alignment like they only play like two out of every three plays. Aaron Donald's going to need a lot of breaks. A lineman is not an endurance athlete, no even way. one as great as Aaron Donald. No he's going to be out there. One big shovel, two big shovels. They don't know how to pace themselves, linemen. That's why they're always rotating in and out of the game. Whereas Patrick get Beverly, he's just going to be out there. I'm going to say, Patrick, come in for some hot cocoa. He's going to snarl at me. He's going to be like, this driveway is not finished and I need to win. So once again, all due respect to Aaron Donald, but I think we're misunderstanding what snow shoveling <laughs> is all about by we you of course mean me yes um, I'm, and i will i will counter you here patrick beverly is not actually that tough uh he's a classic fake tough guy he's all talk all bark no bite here's what i think is actually gonna go down is that you're gonna come in uh after half an hour out on the driveway you know you got about 60 percent done you 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 walk in the front door you look up the stairs and patrick beverly is coming out of the shower and he's gonna <laughs> say oh I didn't even realize you were out there shoveling. I just woke up and hopped in the shower. He took a half-hour shower, used all the hot water. Uh, and then you're like, well, it's fine. You can come out now. And he's like, well, I just showered. I don't really want to like go out and shovel and get all sweaty again. Um, because he's Patrick Beverly, and he's not really that tough. 
So you're going to end up shoveling the whole thing yourself. Meanwhile, I'm kicking it. Me and Aaron finished like an hour ago. We're, we're chilling. I mean, I'm not a huge Patrick Beverly defender. And I don't think on the court he's that good at actual, actual basketball. But you can't deny that mentally he does not back down. If it's a trash-talking competition, Patrick Beverly is a guy you want. And that's what snow shoveling really is, is a trash-talking competition. Because the snow knows that it cannot beat you physically. It has to beat you mentally. But don't you think you'd want me in a trash-talking competition? And you wouldn't want me that's, in a I'm not drafting you! Well, that's what I'm saying, is you're not, you're sure not drafting me to shovel your snow, so why are you, why are you drafting Patrick Beverly? Uh, Patrick Beverly, at least, uh, is a, has an athletic build. Huh? <laughs> that's so incredibly rude. I don't, I'm, I'm just saying he's a pro athlete. I'm not a pro athlete. You're not a pro athlete. I'm clipping that out and posting on Twitter. That's so rude to me. Um, also, just be, uh, while we, while you were talking, I had a thought. What about this as a, well, I guess. Patrick Beverly already has Mr. 94 Feet, which is one of the great nicknames in sport. Um, but what if one of his nicknames Tenacious. was ten- Tenacious B? Oh, because he's Patrick Beverly, and it's like so, Tenacious D, so he's Tenacious so B. So you're agreeing that? that he's tenacious and has a great motor. <gasps> I agree a hard that he has worker. a reputation for certain things that he perhaps does not back up with his play on the court. But let's move on. I think I clearly won that one. I uh, disagree. I'll give, you, I'll give you Nolan Arenados. We'll say we're at 1-1. Uh, <laughs> I'm taking 2-0. <laughs> okay uh the athlete that we would want inside with us on a snowy day we're snowed in nothing to be done walk is shoveled ostensibly aaron took care of that for us um but we are playing some board games and i wasn't quite sure if this is someone who is you are playing on a team with or who's playing against you um obviously if i was playing against them i would choose like javel mcgee or someone uh <laughs> patrick beverly <laughs> yeah uh, someone I, I could easily defeat, but uh, but Griffin, who who did you, did you select for your uh, your board game companion? Well, board games. Once again, we're talking mental, but board game I think is also physical. You need great wrist skill to be able. I think that there is a skill to rolling dice. I don't think it's random. So I wanted an athlete with great wrist skill uh, for those precision rolls when you really need a seven or something. Uh, I wanted someone for with a head for numbers and rules, and I wanted someone who's very cool under pressure. Those are all things that I really value in a good board game partner. So I am going with the 14-time world darts champion, Phil Taylor. He is definitely someone who I knew existed before I saw this segment, and I didn't just think who is the best darts player. They are who I want. But I do think that a the skill of darts translates well to board games. Like I said, darts guys are always having to do the math in their head. They want to double out. They want to triple out. And they've got to be so cool under pressure. And, of course, the wrist skills. No athlete better with the wrists. Uh, so how could I not go with Phil Taylor, who has won an unprecedented 79 career <laughs> PDC majors and is quite simply the undisputed greatest dart player of all time retired british dart player phil taylor so uh top that chris yeah you and phil taylor both great wrist control indeed um well i'm going to pick a real athlete uh, just oh kidding. wow all, all, all respect to phil taylor Darts that is 14 time is... world dart champion phil taylor you're talking about oh man maybe i should have taken magnus carlson uh that feels like cheating <laughs> it does feel like cheating but uh Griffin, in a in a board, especially the teammate, I am going to prize three things in a board gamer. Uh, I want someone with an analytical eye who can see the whole board and you know not just uh, 
look at the objective that's directly in front of them, but can see the end game, see how they're going to potentially amass the, the correct number of victory points, uh, if that's the type of game we're playing. Uh, I want someone with experience, because there's nothing worse than someone who doesn't know the rules to a board game, and you have to explain it to them, and they take a few times playing it to really figure out how to do the strategy, so you need experience. Uh, and of course, a winning mentality. Uh, you, you know, you need that fire, you need that Patrick Beverly-esque tenacity. I'm going with another uh, possible GOAT in their respective sport. I'm going with Christine Sinclair. The uh, possibly, you know, certainly a, a top 10 greatest soccer player of all time, greatest footballer. The greatest uh, goal scorer to ever live. Certainly. Uh, and... You know, like, she, what is board games if not scoring goals, but mentally? And, you know, she she's a, a very fierce competitor. She is certainly mentally dominant. If I walk in the room to play to play Parcheesy with you, and, and I walk in with Christine Sinclair, you're like, oh, we're so screwed. I've got Phil Taylor on my team. No, but I'm looking to Phil, and he's like, don't worry. We've got this. <laughs> you're talking about me, Phil Taylor. Uh, yeah, he'll, he'll be like... Uh, don't don't worry we'll we'll be having a chip buddy before too long griffin now i hear everything that you're if we could get serious for a second on this yeah i please. hear everything you're saying about the legendary christine sinclair and i like all of it except it comes back to the precision dice rolls christine sinclair doesn't even play a sport where she uses her hands she's not going to be able to come up with those clutch rolls when you need a seven she's throwing down a nine she's throwing down a three phil taylor the flick of the wrist the subtle control, the release, those dice are falling exactly the way he wants it every time. And I think maybe in the early game, you're going to come down, you're going to, you guys are going to come in with a great strategy. You'll have the intimidation factor of sitting across of Ken from one of Canada's greatest athletes. But once you get, you're not going to be able to close. You're not going to be able to close. And uh, Phil Taylor closes. He's closed 14 world dart championships. He's closed an unprecedented 79 <laughs> career PDC majors. Phil Taylor closes, baby. And just really quick, answer me in one second. What does PDC stand for? Professional Dart Championship. You should stop Premier. <laughs> Are you I'm not, sure? The, the only one I'm confident on is D for Dart. <laughs> uh, well, Griffin, Premier frankly, dart I, feel, I feel the exact opposite from you. I think you, you're going to be rolling 12s off the bat, and we're going to be like, oh, they're getting all these lucky rolls. Like, they're getting ahead simply on virtue of their rolls. But because you don't have a firm strategy, because you don't have that... Uh, that winning mentality that Christine Sinclair has, that dominant mentality. Don't have a winning mentality. He's a 14-time <laughs> world dart champion. Wait, but surely the number of PDC majors he's won is precedented, right? Not even <laughs> precedented. I would go as far as to say it's unprecedented. Uh, but at any rate, uh, I feel comfortable to say Christine Sinclair has a stronger winning mentality than Phil Taylor, with all due respect to Phil. Uh, and I think that, you know, we're going to come in with a with a firm strategy. We're going to know where to go with our when we get those high rolls, and we're going to come out on top here. I feel good about this. This is the first one I'm willing to toss up as a tie. I'm still not <laughs> You have no idea how, like, insulted I am on behalf of Phil Taylor, a guy who I found out about an hour ago. <laughs> that you've insulted his winning mentality and i i mean it's no insult to be compared to christine sinclair i should get that out of the way but come on phil taylor <laughs> the phil taylor uh yes i i certainly do not want to disrespect phil taylor's achievements i love i love darts i love a good nine darter uh but i i don't think it's unreasonable to say that christine sinclair is is the greater athlete here but moving on, we have, uh, I'm, I'm going to say two more activities. We can, I think we're going to cut uh, our ski trip. But very quickly, uh, I chose Serena Williams for, for my ski trip because of her incredible core strength, incredibly powerful legs, uh, 
you know, who else would you want on the ski slopes? And don't say a professional skier, because that's BS. Yeah, well, hey, you almost picked uh, Magnus Carlsen for board games, but... <laughs> Uh, I went with Russian figure skater Kamila Valieva, 2022 gold medal contender, so graceful. Obviously, we know that she can handle being on a long, skinny foot attachment on a frozen surface. Uh, that's <laughs> something that she, a skate blade, a ski, right. she, she's balanced, she's graceful. Uh, she's going to make me look bad in comparison, but I'm a team player. Skiing is a style game, so I was very happy with my choice of Camila Valieva. Well, that's a great pick. I don't know about your long, skinny snow surface it's the same argument. It's the same thing. Um, but let's let's move on to a different activity. Someone you are going to build a snow, snow person with, uh, I should say. Uh, and Griffin, who is that partner for you in this snow building project? Well, building out of snow is such a creative endeavor. I want someone with a really uh, special vision. I want someone who's going to be able to take to look at the three balls of snow that everyone starts with and say, how can we build upon this? How can we take this that everyone works with and turn it into something that no one else has thought of and turn it into something that no one else has done before. And in that same way, I want someone who takes a look at her four teammates on the court, just the same way everyone else has four teammates on the court. But she thinks, what can I do with these four teammates and turn them into something that we've never done before and use my ability to see the game in a different way to really enhance this snow person. So that's why I'm choosing the all-time WNBA assists leader, Sue Bird, one of the greatest point guards in basketball history to build my snow person. Um, Griffin, this is a terrible selection, quite frankly. What? Um, I think that you are fundamentally misunderstanding uh, the appeal of the snow person. A snow, a snow person is not a creative endeavor. Uh, it is, you know, the the format has been honed and refined for centuries now. We all know how a snow person is built. You have the three ball structure, as you alluded to. Yeah. You got a carrot. You got a corn cob pipe. You got a scarf, it, it could be a button a nose. It could be any one of a number of kinds of hats. You don't you need a scarf. Eyes made out of coal. Um, you go with any. Think... How are you going to make the smile? What do you make the smile out of? That's something to think about. There's so much variation in a snowman, and you don't want to make the same snow person that everyone else has made, because then everyone else is just going to be like ho hum, solid construction. Where's the originality? No, I think that people prize uh, construction ability among a snow person. I think if you saw an immaculately crafted, per, uh, perfectly spherical snow person, you would be blown away and you'd never even think about the idea that it, it's not quote-unquote original because it's a classic representation of exactly what a snow person should be. And that is why uh, I've chosen someone <laughs> who is... Well, I'm sorry, Chris, I just fell asleep describing the exact same snow person that everyone's seen for the past 400 years. <laughs> I've chosen someone who has uh, the physical tools necessary to create this quintessential snow person, uh, and that is NBA superstar Donovan Mitchell. Uh, I wanted someone tall, but I really, you know, there's too much bending over to pick up fresh snow, and so I went with someone who isn't too tall. I believe he's, uh, what, about 6'2", 6'3", maybe? Um, but a 6'10 wingspan, which is hugely important, you know, you, you want you want to be able to bundle up that big, big ball <laughs> to get yourself started. Uh, and, you know, he's got that great flexibility, he's got great body control, and most importantly, he already has experience uh, playing with Rudy Gobert. And what is Rudy Gobert if not the 
big, stiff snow person of the NBA. Uh, so I think that his experience in this matter will be hugely beneficial to him. Uh, and I think we've got this absolutely locked up here. I don't even think I'm questioning it. Yeah, but I mean, if we're talking, like, how good can Donovan Mitchell be? Snow snow people are things that are built by children very well. Like, the talk about low ceilings. There is a low ceiling on Which how we well-constructed a snow person can be where you break through that low ceiling is in your creativity with the decorations what kind of situation are you making a whole snow family is there like a snow dog uh what what sit what are your snow people doing so this is where sue bird's creativity and vision is going to really shine you're absolutely wrong if i see a snow person made by a child right away i'm like oh a child made that because it looks like crap <laughs> uh <laughs> i truly do think that uh and so i think that if you if you again if you see a perfect even just the big ball even if there was just one big ball i remember at my elementary school shout out to stony brook uh people used to just roll giant balls of snow out in the field uh a classic endeavor you might not understand because you live in toronto where there's no open space and no um, snow most of the time. Sure, uh, but that is a big part of it. And you know, if you if you saw a giant ball of snow that was a perfect sphere, you'd be like, "That is incredible." Put it in the Louvre, uh, and that's what we're going for here. We're going for a, uh, the Louvre of snow people. Maybe it's not original or inventive or modern art like you like to do, but uh, <laughs> it's classically beautiful. And your failure to understand that is why you will fail in this matchup. I'm not conceding this one either. I'm up three three points with a tie. Um. <laughs> Fascinating stuff. Uh, then let's get to our final competition. We are picking someone to go skating with us, and I think I have just a no-brainer pick here. Um, we didn't. I didn't quite specify whether you know whether you're racing someone, whether you're playing hockey. So you know, I think you'll you're going to be digging into that with your selection, Griffin. But I'm picking someone who. No matter what's happening on the ice, he is used to being the best person on the ice to accomplish anything. He's used to having to uplift some underperforming uh, partners or friends or teammates or however you want to uh, to frame it. I'm picking Connor McDavid. It's simple. He's the best ice athlete in the game today. I would argue, you know, or certainly uh, certainly way up there. Uh, and more importantly, he is used to dealing with no help. Uh, so you know, if we end up playing two on two hockey against you and your guy i think i've got this one in the bag yeah i i personally thought that we had a like a gentleman's agreement that we weren't picking athletes who like compete in that actual sport but i guess that you felt that you were losing so badly you wanted to flaunt flaunt that rule and i understand that i understand uh lashing out in desperation but to me, skating is a very versatile activity. There's a lot of different directions you can take it. Sometimes you just want to leisure skate. Sometimes you want to race. Sometimes you want to play shinny. And so I'm going with the most versatile person, maybe in the history of sports. I'm taking Bo Jackson as my skating partner. Uh, what can't Bo do? Maybe we want to figure skate. Maybe we don't even want to wear hockey skates. Bo could do that too. Uh, like... There's nothing the man cannot do, and I want to see where he's starting from when he steps on the ice, and when we get off the ice an hour later, I want to see how quickly he's picked it up, how much he's improved. He's powerful, he's graceful, he's coordinated. Bo Jackson isn't the wrong choice in any category ever, as far as I'm concerned, and he's gonna... Sure, maybe if we're playing hockey, because you cheated on this one, you would win a two-on-two -two hockey game, but in terms of who's the better pick, it's Bo. 
there was never any kind of gentle person's agreement of any kind, to be clear. This was never elucidated uh, in any form. We, we didn't choose Magnus Carlsen. We didn't choose a professional skier for the ski trip. It's true, but I wouldn't want to go on a ski trip with a professional skier. Uh, I would want to go skating with Connor McDavid, though. And I, I think I think I'm happy to take a tie on this one. I agree that, uh, that I'm coming from an unfair advantage by picking a, a hockey player. And I would love to see Bo on the ice. I think your point is very strong that I don't know. I'll if, give you uh, the point because skater. technically you'll you'll win the whether it's a race or like sure Connor McDavid's a better skater than Bo Jackson. I'm ninety percent sure of that. <laughs> yeah, in a in a competitive setting, uh, certainly Connor McDavid would have the edge. But I think that you have chosen a great person to go skating with, and really. Even though this is going to be a competition, ultimately, there are no losers here. I think we both have assembled uh, a really strong team. For Griffin's team, uh, Nolan Arenado is going to be his teammate in the snowball fight. Patrick Beverly is shoveling his snow. Uh, Phil Taylor, the unprecedented 79-time career PDC major winner, is going to play board games. Unprecedented. Uh, Sue Bird is going to assist him with building a snowman. Uh, Camilla Valieva, is that also a person who you knew about before today? Of course, Chris. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, is going to go on a ski trip with him, and Bo Jackson is going to uh, join him going skating. Meanwhile, in the spirit of sportsmanship, I will run down Chris's team. Uh, in the snowball fight, we have Jameis Winston uh, shoveling snow for the first two minutes, at least. We're going to have Aaron Donald helping out Chris. That. Uh, Christine Sinclair is going to give him that intimidation factor in the board game competition. For some reason, Chris went with Donovan Mitchell to build a snowman, uh, and then taken going with Chris on the Serena on the Serena trip is Ski Williams sure. on the ski, ski trip is Serena Williams, and Chris finished it off with skating with Connor McDavid, a great second place <laughs> team for sure. Uh, I, we will turn this one over to you, loyal listeners. This is, uh, I think this is going to be an exciting one. I think uh, we will be stirring up some debate on this one. Uh, so go to our Twitter, HFLC Podcast, and vote. Uh, maybe not now, but certainly in the near future. <laughs> and throw in your vote on that. Make your voice heard. Uh, but I think that's going to just about do it for our show today, Griffin. Um, and I'm going to say it, another corker. Yeah, this was one of my favorite episodes, even though like my blood, the blood boiled towards the end there. But I think we'll take a week off. We'll come back next week. If I lose the vol, if I lose the poll, I'm going to flip my lid. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it will be a... A well-fought battle, uh, but we'll see what the viewers, our listeners, rather think. Uh, in the meantime, yeah, thank remember... you so much for listening. Um, just before we go, Chris, I do want to say, oh. by the time this episode comes out, I do believe we're going to have an Instagram and a TikTok page. Uh, hopefully, they will both be under the handle at HFLC Podcast. I can't imagine anyone else has that handle. So, if you're looking for us on any social media platform, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at HFLC Podcast for polls fun clips behind the scenes stuff all of it there so please check us out give us a follow we love interacting with you guys on there yes we love our uh, our social media mavens uh so be sure to check us out on all platforms uh since we're doing plugs i just want to plug the film jumper uh watched it two days ago it's great starring hayden christensen you all can right. teleport. you remember that poster for jumper where he's standing on top of the sphinx no nope. okay well all everyone right. else does strong uh, strong ending
<laughs> Come on. Uh, remember to rate and review us five stars on both Spotify and Apple. We recently learned. Uh, yep. You can follow Griffin at Griffin Porter ninety seven. You can follow myself at C House and Jan. Um, 